one was uh, from a friend who said, you know, I'd love to invite Jesus into the kitchen. Does he wash dishes? Because mine's broken. And then uh, just in the last 24 hours, my wife did look at me with a little bit of a serious note and say, you're not going to talk about my cooking, are you? (laughs) Such literalists we are. This is a metaphor. Metaphor for life. As we consider a house, our life, and consider what happens in some of the different rooms of the house, and we invite Jesus into each of those rooms. That that we want Jesus, as we walk through this entire series of inviting Jesus into these rooms, because we want Him to be the Lord not just of Sunday morning, but of every room of our lives. As, as we've been talking about God's space and, and looking in for God's space in our, in our interaction with those around us that, that do not know God, what, what we've harped on is that what really is the best way to share good news, the best way to share good news is that real people have encountered the real Jesus in their real lives and they share it with others. And so, unless we are encountering the real Jesus in our real lives, we don't really have good news that other people want to hear. Unless it's relevant to their lives. So, for the next five, six weeks, we're going to be walking through the kitchen. Walking through the the den, the the family room, walking into the game room and the study, the bedroom, and even into the closet, and inviting Jesus into each of those rooms. So Revelation 3, where Jesus is talking to the, the, the church in Laodicea, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who opens the door, I will come in and sit down with him and sup with him. And he's talking to the church. He's not talking to those that don't know him. He's talking to the people that know him. And so for these next six weeks, we'll get to invite Jesus into these different rooms. And, and I begin, and I now ask you to begin that, that journey of considering those different rooms in your own life. And what, what do they symbolize for you? And we'll look at that today. The kitchen. What is your kitchen? What is that that room that best is symbolized? What is that that place in your life that's symbolized by the kitchen? Um, Let's. uh, Our passage then is from uh, Luke chapter ten, starting with verse thirty-eight, thirty-eight through forty-two. It's found on page eight forty-five in your pew Bible. Invite you to turn there or follow along on the screen. Let's. uh, Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we just sang, we pray again to you. Open our eyes and our ears. Open my mouth. To see, to hear, to speak from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38. 
Now, as they went on their way, he, Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, it's a simple point of this passage. Really, rather clear. Being with Jesus, sitting at his feet, is the most important thing we do. Really, no other way to turn this tale. Sitting at the feet of Jesus as his followers is absolutely the most important thing that we do. He's rather clear with Martha. Mary's doing what is most important. Mary's doing the one thing that can't be taken away. Now, let's just look at this particular story here. I mean, Martha invited Jesus into the house. Martha was the one that took the initiative. Jesus, come on in. Jesus goes into the living room where Mary then sits at his feet, taking it in. Martha heads for the kitchen to to carry out her tasks, to carry out her tasks of service even. I mean, the word used there is the same word used throughout the New Testament of of acts of service. The same word that we get deacon from. So Martha's doing good stuff. But she gets distracted by those good things distracted by them so that she's not in relationship, in fellowship with the living Lord who's in her house. So she gets angry. That for me is always a good notion. A a, a good notion, a red flag to me of uh, there's something up with me. When I, when I get angry, that usually doesn't mean that things are wrong out there. They might be, but there's absolutely nothing I can do about them. But it's usually, if I'm angry, it's a good sign that something is wrong with me. It goes back to that fruit of the Spirit. Martha was the same way. I mean, she was getting perturbed. And so she, you can see her in the kitchen, can't you? You can almost see her in there pulling out the pots and the pans, lighting the fire, sort of mumbling underneath her breath, Mary, Jesus, what's going on? You know, slamming cabinet doors until finally she walks out and says, Jesus, Mary should be in there helping me. Things are wrong and you need to fix it. Better yet, fix Mary. That's just a natural tendency of us, isn't it? To get angry when things don't go the way we want them to go. And so then we call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you fix them? Instead of the other way around, wondering what that 
where that anger came from. It happened to me just recently in a conversation where anger welled up within me in an outburst and lost my temper and realized as reflecting on it that what was actually a gift, not for the other person, but of God saying to me, you're, you're trying to do this in your own power. Because if it was of my spirit, then that wouldn't have been your reaction. So Jesus, then in the midst of that, simply gathers with Martha and says, Martha, come on, there's, there's one thing here that can't be taken away. The stuff you're doing, as good as it is, is distracting you from me. It is not out of me that you are doing this. It's out of you. And then he leaves it. No direction. No rules to follow. No program to attend. No no casting of a vision of what you could be like. Just leaves it with Martha. Which I think is really interesting. And I think would, would... He regularly does this with parables. And the reason he does it, I think, is to say to Martha and to say to us who are reading it, and so now what are you going to do? You are responsible for your life with me. What will you do? He regularly does this. Two, two tidbits, just walking through the, the, the story. One, the place of anger and how that can be a red flag, at least for me, and maybe for you, of walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And then the other, the way he ends, is to say, so Martha, now I'm not giving you any more direction. I'm not giving you step one, two, and three. I want you to figure it out. What could Martha have done there? What are the responses that she she could have made at this particular juncture? We're not told. The story doesn't go on, which is, I think, part of Jesus' genius. To say, all right, well, what, what would I do? What would happen here? Well, you know, one option for Martha, I mean, what she was, is, is simply to stop what she's doing and go sit at Jesus' feet. Now, I can tell you, for me, that probably wouldn't work. Because I know what I would do at that stage if that's what I were to do. If, if Jesus had said, so Martha, I want you to stop working in the kitchen. I want you to come sit at my feet. Maybe that would work for some of you because you are humble. And because you are naturally obedient. For me, arrogance naturally a skeptic of anybody else's rules. But it's Jesus, you know, so it's pretty powerful, so I'd probably do what he says. You know, I'd go into the kitchen, slam everything shut, turn everything off, and go sit down and right at his feet, fretting and moaning and groaning the whole time in my head, back in the kitchen, totally oblivious to what he was saying, not no longer in the kitchen, but still equally, if not more, distracted. Maybe at his feet in my body, but I'm further away in my mind and in my soul. So I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if Martha had come out and said, Jesus, 
I'm, I'm really messed up here. You're in my living room, and I'm sitting here in the kitchen, not 10 feet from you, angry, upset. This is wrong. I'm in a bad place, but I can't leave the kitchen. I mean, I can physically, but I can't leave it emotionally. I can't leave it mentally. So, will you come in the kitchen with me? Will you just come in here with me? Because that's as far as I can go. I can't go any further than that. Just, just come enter the kitchen with me. I think that Jesus would have gone. I mean, we know from Jesus' life, from the stories that were told and in the, the writings about Him, that time was of no consequence to Jesus. He was never in a hurry. Never. Even, even a little later on, when Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is dying, Jesus doesn't hurry and rush, turn on the ambulance lights. He finishes what he's doing, wherever he is, and then makes his way to their house. I think he would have come in and would have sat with Martha. He would have joined in the preparation of the food. I mean, Jesus never was one to diminish the physical needs of the people. Right? He never was one to say, those are just physical needs. Let's do the spiritual things more. He never, I mean, there were a number of times when thousands of people were gathered and Jesus was in the middle of a sermon and people got hungry. And he stopped and said, hey, let's feed them. So he would have been well aware of those needs and, and I'm willing to bet, jumped in with Martha, prepared the food, enjoying it, and I'm willing to bet it was the best dinner in that house in a long time. Because the only other time we know that Jesus was allowed to participate somehow in the kitchen was at a wedding in Cana. And we're told there they took a little bit of water, sped things up a little bit, with that water, turn, and which eventually would become wine. It would just take a lot of process of going up, down, into the ground, into grapes, and then a little bit of more time, and then made it into wine. And we're told it was the best wine served at that party. So I can just see Jesus joining with Martha in the kitchen. In, in, the, the, in the midst of the pots and the pans, the flames and the food. Gathered there and in that interaction, in their fellowship in the midst of the, those things that were distracting her in the kitchen. She encounters Jesus and in that process her priorities are rearranged. It's in that relationship, in that fellowship with Jesus, that then not just her head hears and knows sitting at the feet of Jesus is the one thing that can't be taken away, but in her heart she is changed because she invited Jesus into the kitchen and he joined with her in the good work that she was doing and in that process did the work, did it well, and Martha was transformed. I wonder, for each of us, 
Where's the kitchen for you? Where's the kitchen? Where, where are the, the, the things, the good things of life? That you can get so caught up into that they distract you. That they take you away from sitting with Jesus. For many of us, it's probably the workplace. And I, I put before you a question. What would it look like for you to invite Jesus into the cubicle, into the office, onto the road, if that's where you spend your work-a-day life. Maybe it is the home. Maybe it literally is the kitchen and the laundry room and the bedroom. And what would it look like for you to invite Jesus into that space? Maybe it's the school. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's the books or the, the, the social life. Of school. Where, where, where is it? What are the things? Where are the, the busyness? The things of life? The good things of life that can distract you? For some of you now, it's the whole arena of retirement. You've never been so busy. That's what I hear. Work as long as you can because you'll never get as busy as you are when you're in retirement. Invite Jesus in. Invite Jesus into those places. What would it look like? What does that mean for you to invite Jesus into your kitchen? I take this rather different approach to this passage because what I find in, in discussing this passage with others, it usually brings two responses. It usually brings defensiveness. I mean, it's amazing. People want to defend Martha. Listen, she was doing good stuff. They're going to get hungry later on. I mean, come on. Why get upset with her? Which, you know, isn't Jesus' point at all and is a way for us to avoid inviting Jesus into the kitchen. Or, or the other is guilt. Debilitating guilt. Just, oh, I'm always so busy. I'm worthless. I'm Martha and I'll never change. So Jesus has forgotten me. And guilt like that becomes debilitating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pinched him at just the right time. Yeah, so the defensiveness or the guilt, let, let that go. Invite Jesus into the kitchen, into your kitchen. Where, where is that place for you. And what's going to happen is Jesus is going to rearrange it. When he comes into the kitchen, he's going to rearrange it. He's going to rearrange it according to a different set of priorities, a better set, an eternal set, a more beautiful set, a more wonderful set, even a better tasting set of priorities and directions, and plans, and dreams. And I think for some of us, that's what is exciting. And we're like, yes, I've been trying long enough. I want Jesus. I want Him. Come into the kitchen, man. You take over. Rearrange the place. For others of us, that might be what's scary. We like our kitchen the way we want it. 
And don't go moving the pots and the pans and the bowls and the plates and the forks and the spoons especially. When Jesus comes in, He's going to rearrange it. Believe Him. Trust Him. If He comes in and rearranges it, it'll rearrange it into that which is beautiful, that which is right, that which is eternal. Where's the kitchen for you? That place, projects to accomplish, tasks to fulfill, that, that are good, but that can distract you. Invite Jesus in. Amen. As we come to gather around the table, our, our habit here is to first have healing stations and we'll have um, elders uh, uh, spread throughout the congregation, throughout the sanctuary, who will meet with you and pray with you. They'll have a little vial of oil, like to anoint you with that oil and pray for you, whatever the need might be. It might be for you, it might be for someone else. Maybe physical healing, spiritual, relational. Or it may even be from, from this time of just engaging and saying, I'd like to, for somebody else to help me even invite Jesus into the kitchen. To, to note that place that can be good things, that can be distracting from Him. And, and then after that time of, of prayer, we'll gather around the table. But just want you to know that time of prayer is one that is held very high by the elders that pray with you and for you. What you share there is confidential. It doesn't go beyond here. And invite you at, at this time to come forward for a time of healing for you or for someone else. And those that aren't coming up, be sure to lift up one another in prayer and take this time as we go through the healing station and communion, a lot of time that we can be sitting, contemplating, reflecting, listening as the Spirit speaks to us about where our kitchen might be and how we can invite Him in. Uh, let me uh, invite those elders that will be at healing stations to come forward and come to their their places. And invite uh, each one of us to come and to come to any of these uh, elders to invite Jesus into whatever the place of healing, pain, brokenness or even joy. Let us uh, Lift our prayers unto Almighty God.
Okay. 
move now into a time of communion, even as some of the healing stations are wrapping up. We invite you today to, to share in this communion with followers of Christ who are today are celebrating this feast as we have done for 2,000 years. This is a sign and a seal of eating and drinking with a crucified and risen Lord. This is not a right converted or the worthy, but this is a privilege, a blessing giving to the undeserving who come in repentance and faith and love. We have a tradition here at College Hill that, that when we're served the bread, uh, we ask you to hold it until everyone is served. And then symbolizing our connectedness as a single body, you'll be invited to eat the bread together. And when you are served the cup, we invite you to take and drink it as the Spirit leads you, signifying your personal uh, commitment to Lord. So you're invited to come to the feast. You're invited to come and commit yourself afresh to love and serve God, your neighbors, and one another. Let's pray together. Mm -hmm. Gracious God, we ask you take these ordinary elements, mm -hmm. bread and cup, just as you take us as your ordinary people, and that you fill these, use these in a way to, to nourish not just us physically, but to nourish us spiritually. Mm-hmm. And not just individually, but us as a people, collectively. Feed our faith. Deepen it. Strengthen it in you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. It was on the night that our Lord was betrayed. After giving thanks, He took the bread. Broke it. Saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat all of you.
body of Christ, take and eat. And that same night, he took the cup, and after pouring it, gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom.
Let's continue in prayer. Dear gracious God, we come before you in praise and adoration. We do rejoice that you take interest and care for every detail of our lives. That you indeed will enter the kitchen. And you will lead us and empower us to do the the necessary things of life. And even more so, you will transform us in the process to do them in ways that bring you glory and honor and to set aside those things that aren't of you and your timing and to take up those things that are. Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for the life and the death of Jesus, for his resurrection and his impending return, that we come before you clothed in him and part of a community, not only with you, but with those around the world. We pray at this day for the needs, the continued needs of our world. We pray particularly for the evil and the war of this world that would put a, a bomb in Times Square. We pray for those who know you in New York and around the world to, to seek to be about your love and your goodness, your righteousness. We pray for your peace. And gracious God, we pray for those that know you in our, our land where they're suffering from tornadoes this week and from floods. We pray your, your people would, you would raise them up to do your, your bidding, to do your good works that you've prepared for them to do. Lord, we pray the same for ourselves. We invite you into every room of our lives, individually and as a community, so that indeed you would lead us, fill us, empower us, and strengthen us, that you would bear fruit in us. So as to carry out, continue to carry out and participate in your, your rescue for all of creation. We lift up to you also one another. We um, give you thanks that Martha Peterson is home. And we lift up to you friends and family of Bob Hood in his death this week. Give you thanks for him and the many lives that he's touched. And we pray that your spirit would continue through those 
that know him and love him to bring peace, to bring your comfort and the celebration of the joy of the resurrection. And all of these things, dear Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus. Thank you that in him we are forgiven. In him we are washed clean. In him we are made new. And we look forward to the day that he returns and welcomes us home and completes his salvation of all of creation. In the name of Jesus we pray. We join together in the words that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us continue to worship God as we give our offerings unto him.